European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 44, Issue 26. Focus Issue, Ischemic Heart Disease, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Focus on Ischemic Heart Disease, from Mechanisms to Prevention and Treatment. This focus issue on ischemic heart disease contains a contribution entitled Great Debate Computed Tomography Coronary Angiography Should Be the Initial Diagnostic Test in Suspected Angina by experts in the field and coordinated by Professor Colin Berry. Should clinicians adopt a default anatomical strategy or a more individualised approach? The anatomical approach using computed tomography coronary angiography, or CTCA, is generating growing interest and is commended in the UK National Institute for Health and Care Excellence clinical guideline. Personalised medicine takes account of the patient's characteristics to stratify management and this approach is endorsed in the most recent clinical guidelines from the European Society of Cardiology and in North American guidelines. The editors of the European Heart Journal have posed the motion CTCA should be the initial diagnostic test in suspected angina. Kramer and colleagues write for the motion and Professor Canadian and colleagues write against it. We hope you agree that the authors have captured the key issues. Cardiac involvement in Erdheim-Chester disease, or ECD, a rare L-group histiocytosis, has been reported to be associated with poor outcomes, but systematic studies are lacking. In a clinical research article entitled Prevalence Patterns and Outcomes of Cardiac Involvement in Erdheim-Chester Disease, Lovidin Azoulay and colleagues from the Assistance Publique Hôpitaux de Paris in France aim to investigate the prevalence, clinical features, imaging features and prognosis of cardiac involvement in ECD in a large series. All patients with ECD who underwent cardiac magnetic resonance, or CMR imaging, between 2003 and 2019 at a French tertiary centre were retrospectively included. Primary outcome was all-cause mortality. Secondary outcomes were pericarditis, cardiac tamponade, conduction disorders, device implantation and coronary artery disease, or CAD. A total of 200 patients were included. Mean age 63 years, 30% female, 58% BRAF V600E mutated. Median follow-up was 5.5 years. On CMR, right atrioventricular succulus infiltration was observed in 37% of patients and pericardial effusion was seen in 24% of patients. In total, 8 patients, or 4%, had pericarditis, 7 acute, 1 constrictive. 10 patients, or 5%, had cardiac tamponade. 5 patients, or 2.5%, had ECD-related high-degree conduction disorders, and 45 patients, or 23%, had CAD. Overall, cardiac involvement was present in 96 patients, or 48%, and was associated with BRAF V600E mutation, 
odds ratio or OR equaling 7.4, P being less than 0.001, and ECD-related clinical events, OR equaling 5, P equaling 0.004, but not with lower survival in multivariate analysis. Adjusted hazard ratio or HR equaling 1.4, P equaling 0.2. Cardiac involvement is present in nearly half of ECD patients and is associated with BRAF V600E mutation and complications, pericarditis, cardiac tamponade and conduction disorders, but not with lower survival. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Matthew Collin from the Newcastle University in the United Kingdom. Dr. Collin concludes that caring for patients with ECD is by nature a multidisciplinary activity and engagement with cardiologists is essential to investigate and manage cardiac involvement optimally. A patient-led organisation, the ECD Global Alliance, has been critical in raising awareness over the last few years and has many resources for patients and clinicians interested in learning more. While the beneficial effects of moderate exercise are beyond any reasonable doubt, those of endurance exercise are more controversial. In a clinical research article entitled Lifelong Endurance Exercise and Its Relation with Coronary Atherosclerosis, Ruben de Bocher and colleagues from KU Leuven in Belgium enrolled 191 lifelong master endurance athletes, 191 late-onset athletes, endurance sports initiated after 30 years of age, and 176 healthy non-athletes, all male with a low cardiovascular risk profile. Peak oxygen uptake quantified fitness. The primary endpoint was the prevalence of coronary plaques, calcified, mixed and non-calcified, on CTCA. Analyses were corrected for multiple cardiovascular risk factors. The median age was 55 years in all groups. Lifelong and late-onset athletes had higher peak oxygen uptake than non-athletes. Lifelong endurance sport was associated with having greater than or equal to one coronary plaque, OR 1.86, greater than or equal to one proximal plaque, OR 1.96, greater than or equal to one calcified plaque, OR 1.58, greater than or equal to one calcified proximal plaque, OR 2.07, greater than or equal to one non-calcified plaque, OR 1.95, greater than or equal to one non-calcified proximal plaque, OR 2.80, and greater than or equal to one mixed plaque, OR 1.78, as compared with a healthy non-athletic lifestyle. The authors conclude that lifelong endurance sport participation is not associated with a more favourable coronary plaque composition compared with a healthy lifestyle. Lifelong endurance athletes had more coronary plaques, including non-calcified plaques in proximal segments, than fit and healthy individuals with a similarly low cardiovascular risk profile. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Sahad Fayez and Michael Papadakis from the University of London in the United Kingdom. The authors highlight that this is a well-designed study which adds an intriguing body of research demonstrating that athletes engaging in lifelong endurance exercise 
are more likely to exhibit elevated coronary artery calcification, or CAC scores, and atherosclerotic plaque. It also questions the favourable plaque profile suggested by others. Longitudinal studies are required to understand the significance of these findings. The challenge remains the low event rates, further compounded amongst female cohorts who demonstrate less coronary disease, highlighting the need for multicenter studies of large cohorts. The best evidence to date remains that exercise is an overwhelmingly positive influence extending beyond the cardiovascular system. The high-intensity stroke volume exercise and the associated lifestyle of elite endurance athletes confer significant benefits, with athletes gaining an average of five to seven years of life compared with sedentary individuals. As such, clinicians should continue to encourage exercise and facilitate risk stratification by investigating and addressing traditional cardiovascular risk factors. Whether extremes of exercise pose a detrimental effect remains to be proven. Air pollution has a remarkably negative impact on cardiovascular diseases. Data on the impact of air pollution on the pathobiology of coronary instability, however, are still limited. In a rapid communications article entitled Air Pollution and Plaque Healing in Acute Coronary Syndromes, Michele Russo and colleagues from the Catholic University of the Sacred Heart in Rome, Italy, note that plaque healing plays a key role in coronary atherosclerosis and represents the second hit required to cause an acute coronary syndrome, or ACS, after plaque disruption, this latter being the first hit. Moreover, an impaired plaque healing has been found in patients with recurrent ACS, suggesting its importance in preventing repeated symptomatic coronary thrombosis. The authors investigated the association between air pollution and healed plaques in patients with ACS, stratified by first or recurrent ACS. They enrolled 133 ACS patients. Healed plaques were found in the culprit lesion of 11 or 38% of patients with recurrent ACS and of 44 or 42% of patients with first ACS. Among patients with recurrent ACS, those with healed plaques, compared with those without, had lower PM2.5 exposure levels, P equaling 0.026, and PM2.5 was the only variable associated with healed plaque at univariate analysis, P equaling 0.048. Among patients with first ACS, there were no significant differences in PM2.5 exposure levels between patients with and without healed plaques. The authors conclude that the study shows for the first time that, among patients with recurrent ACS, a higher long-term PM2.5 exposure is associated with an impaired plaque healing, along with the presence of more vulnerable plaque features at the culprit lesion. The issue also contains another rapid communications article entitled Radial Artery versus Internal Thoracic Artery or Cephensus Vein Grafts 15-Year Results of the RAPCO Trial by Gary Hamilton and colleagues from the University of Melbourne in Australia. The standard coronary artery bypass graft or cabbage operation 
uses the left internal thoracic artery to the left anterior descending artery, or lita lad. However, the optimal graft for the second most important coronary target remains debated. The Radial Artery Patency and Clinical Outcomes, or RAPCO program, was designed as two separate randomized trials in which the radial artery, or RA, was compared with either the right internal thoracic artery, or RAPCO-RETA, as a free graft, or the Cephensus vein, or RAPCO-SV, as the conduit for grafting the second most important coronary target. The authors herein present the 15-year clinical outcomes of the RAPCO program. The endpoint was a composite of major cardiovascular events, or MACE, including all-cause death, myocardial infarction, or repeat revascularization. In the RAPCO-RETA trial, the 15-year MACE rate was 39% in the RA group and 48.5% in the RETA group, HR 0.74, P equaling 0.04. In the RAPCO-SV trial, the 15-year MACE rate was 60.2% in the RA group and 73.2% in the SV group, HR 0.71, P equaling 0.04. The authors conclude that using the RA to graft the second most important coronary target in patients undergoing coronary surgery improves long-term clinical outcomes compared with either the free RETA or the SV. This suggests that the RA should be favoured to complement the LETA-LAD graft unless there is a specific contraindication. The issue also contains two discussion forum contributions. In a commentary entitled Diverging Opinions for High Bleeding Risk Patients, Ahmet Anil Baskurd from the Dokuz Aylol University School of Medicine in Uzmir, Turkey, comments on the recent 2022 ESC guidelines on cardiovascular assessment and management of patients undergoing non cardiac surgery. Sigrun Halverson, Jolinda Mahili, and Tobias Geisler respond in a separate comment. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will be of interest to its listeners.